This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This week's guest, Dr. Gary McGrath, and I practically get medieval when it comes to talking about leadership. I mean, we get Game of Thrones We talk about good bosses and bad bosses, emperors, and just share some war stories about our experiences with leadership and the lessons that we've learned. So if you're interested in hearing something a little bit different about leadership, check out this episode. Enjoy. C-Suite Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Christina DiGiacomo, and this is Wise Up with Christina. I'm really excited for this week's guest, Dr. Gary McGrath, who is the founder of Staterius, where he makes good bosses into great leaders through his Leader Step 7 program. But there's some other really fascinating things about Dr. Gary that I want to share with you. First of all, he was an Eagle Scout, so he's a total Boy Scout. He graduated with a degree in mechanical and metallurgical engineering, so he could probably forge a sword if he really wanted to. He was a captain in the United States Army, and he has a PhD in business administration. What a background. Not only that, he authored two books, Mastering Sales Leadership, Learning to Herd Cats, and I know as a manager what it felt like to herd cats, which were my employees, so really great book. And a CEO's journey, the seven steps to intentional leadership. I want to welcome Dr. Gary McGrath. Hello, how are you? Hello, Christina. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And I'm really excited to have you here. Let's just get right into it. Because I, I you have so so much going on and so many things that you do. And it's all very, I think it's really interesting. And I, I consider you a very wise person. So can you just give us a sense of your work and some principles and philosophies that, that drive your work? Well, well, sure. Thanks for saying that I'm wise. It's just another word for getting old. Um, <laughs> experience is just another word for the failures we learn from, right? So uh, philosophy, well, I think the place that we should always start with philosophy is what our, our mission is. And our mission at, uh, at Staterius, which is Latin for st- to stand firm or balanced or a few other things that actually you taught me as we dug into the roots of Staterius, the Latin, is to make good bosses into great leaders with compassion, accountability. But that's not what I tell people. You know, when I meet people for the first time, uh, I, usually, I usually ask them a question, Christina. I say, so, Christina, you ever had a bad boss? Yes. Uh, I can't name any names. No. But yes, of course. Yes, let's keep yeah. let's keep the guilty out of the program. 
Bad boss so, shaming is not allowed on Wise Up. <laughs> absolutely. So I've found that to be pretty universal. Most people have had a bad boss at some time. And it's interesting because every so often I'll get somebody that says, well, no, I, I haven't had a bad boss because I've been self-employed. I'm like, oh, so you're your own boss. How's that working for you? How good a boss are you? Do you hold yourself accountable? Are you compassionately accountable? And it's kind of an interesting conversation. But the reason I ask that question is because our mission is to make good bosses into great leaders with compassion and accountability, or in other words, to make bad bosses into good bosses. Because you see, bad bosses are not bad because they want to be bad. They're often promoted into positions, not given the training and development that they need to have to be effective as a leader in a leadership position. And they're basically thrown to the wolves. And I, I love to use this metaphor uh, with people. And, and I will do this quite often when I do uh, a keynote and I'll ask the audience, who's had an appendix removed? How many people have had an appendicitis? And invariably, if there's a few hundred people in the room, a couple of people have raised their hand. And I said, so when you had appendicitis, you knew you had to have the appendix removed. And they said, absolutely. That's what we needed to do. I said, great. So if you knew what to do, did you take a scalpel or a knife out of your kitchen drawer and just remove the appendix? Because, well, that's what needs to happen. Of course, that's crazy, Christina. That's just a, a nutty thought. So rather than doing that, just take a couple of belts of bourbon, lay down on the table, hand the knife to your spouse and say, go at it, get this thing out of me because we know that it needs to come out. Of course, that's crazy too. They say, why is it crazy? Well, it's because you're not a trained surgeon. So certainly you wouldn't ask your spouse to do something they're not trained in. And yet in so many organizations, we are handing the responsibility of leadership in a position of supervision or management to someone who has not been trained. It's like handing them a scalpel and say, start operating because you are a great individual contributor in sales or in technology or even as a doctor or a nurse. And now we're going to make you a supervisor. And the skills that are needed are so completely different from being, I was an engineer, you know, I, uh, I had a strange career though, because I was in a leadership position at 22 years old in the United States army. And I learned very, very quickly because I had some very experienced sergeants that I listened to and I learned from, and I got a lot of training through the military. And then I got a lot of training when I was with Procter and Gamble. And I tell people it takes five to 10 years to become mediocre. To become a good boss, it takes five to 10 years because it's so complex when we're trying to build relationships is to try to take bad bosses and either move them into an individual contributor role, as Jim Collins says, a good to great, put them in the right seat, or to develop them into a good boss and then maybe a great leader by taking them through our development programs that helps them apply their leadership capabilities within the context of their organization every single day. That's what Staterius is all about. And that's what my commitment is to what I do with my clients. So it's, um, it's a fun journey. I've, I've, I've been doing this full time for about 11 years now, and uh, it's what I love to do. That's amazing. I want to just kind of go back and talk about, through some of the themes that, that you were 
you know, that you were talking about. First, I think what you're also saying is to have a level of compassion for the people who are in these roles that aren't trained. Like there's no, like, I like this idea that there's no such thing as a bad boss, right? For me, I really try to not look at situations or people as bad or good necessarily. They just, it just is, this is what is in front of me. Right. And I do believe that people are put in situations and conditions that they're not prepared for. So, you know, and a lot of what we would consider or most people would consider bad is really just a manifestation and an expression of maybe frustration or pressure that that person is facing and they don't know how to cope with it. And they don't know how to deal with it. Let's put it this way. Everybody's doing the best they can with what they have at the time. Exactly. Exactly. Whether Whether you're an employee or the CEO, everybody's doing the best they can with what they have at the time. And unfortunately, because they've been given this scalpel of responsibility and they're supposed to know, they're afraid to admit that they don't know. And it takes so long to learn how to know, but nobody's taking them into the operating room and teaching them and training them and developing them then the, the, the problem, Christina, the problem is, is that their failure kills other people. If I continue with the metaphor, the patient is going to die. Okay. If I had to do that operation. This is getting really dark. The patient is going to die. It's really, but you see, that's the problem with bad bosses. If you don't develop them properly, you create such a black hole of emotional disruption that it hurts everybody. And it's not because the person isn't trying, it's because they don't know how to be good. And the problem is not with that person, it's with the people that promoted them. That's where the problem is. So, you know, there's where where the responsibility is. And yes, people are trying to do the best they can with what they have at the time. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, the, the idea of compassion right? That's where the compassion comes in. Uh, And there's another theme that's kind of coming up for me, which is the notion of the expert, right? Or the notion of, you know, really stepping into what it means to be a good leader. And I think that certainly the experiences that I've had in the working world, things move really fast. You know, people level up really quickly. It's certainly very different than it was like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago when I was first starting out. When, you know, when I was first starting out, you paid your dues. You were in a role for years before you were even considered for a promotion. Now the, the landscape has changed so drastically where, you know, a person will be in a role for like a year and then they get promoted and then they get promoted. Uh, a year later. So things are moving really fast. Uh, You know, leadership want people upskilling and stepping into these more senior roles so that they can, you know, fill their staff and, and their headcount for more junior roles. And there's all these sort of organizational structural things that are driving these kinds of, these kinds of promotions. But the notion of the master, the notion of the expert has been around for a really long time. 
the idea that before you even can teach someone else that you have to become a master in what you do or how to teach has been around for millennia. And somehow, and I think this is what you're touching on, we've kind of lost sight of that. Like the notion of giving someone time to cultivate and grow and, and really kind of come into their own and really understand what it means to, um, to lead people, that, that situation just isn't present anymore. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here because I think, yeah. Christina, I, I'm, I'm a little spoiler alert here for you. Okay, a little spoiler alert. Um, in the last six months, that has changed. Okay, and the reason that has changed is with this pandemic, people are cutting back. Um, the levels are, are, are cutting back. The promotions aren't going to be there. Unemployment just went from the best in history to one of the worst in history overnight. And that is going to create a scenario where growth over the next two to five years is going to slow down in some companies it's going to go backwards. So all of this growth and that you're talking about with this expansive growth that was going on in this country and continuing uh, for uh, almost 12 years with the bear market and the bull market, whatever the hell they call it, but it's keeps growing, you know, it, call it what you want. It's, it's stopped with a, a little virus. So people need to put on a different mindset here and recognize that the things that you're talking about is going to be the norm. When you started a job a year ago and you were expecting to have a promotion within a year, you just better be happy. You've got a job because a 10th to a third of those jobs are going away. Retail stores are closing. Organizations are shutting down. Tremendous number of companies are going bankrupt. What that does is it, it eliminates all of that growth opportunity that was there just six months ago. So let, let's talk about compassion and accountability as it relates to this. Because so, you see in leadership development, when people are promoted, without the training and the development and the coaching and the mentoring and all of the things that they need in order to be able to be effective, to be intentional. What they often think is they, they think of a person that was a good leader in their past or somebody who they admired or the way they want to be. They want to be compassionate. They want to, they want to really get along with people. We want a tight team. So they think in terms of compassionate, compassionate leader, empathetic, and what they turn into is the, what I call the nice guy, quote, unquote, the nice guy, the nice gal. And um, people like them as long as things are going well. But when things go badly, they don't quite know how to flip over to be that accountable boss. You say, okay, things are going bad. I got to become more accountable. I got to hold people to the feet to the fire. You know, I've been doing this six months. I was a nice, I was a nice guy and I'm being taken advantage of and that's no fair. So now I'm going to get tough. I mean, tough. Okay. So when you do that to a bunch of your employees, they really think you're a jerk. You go right to the, right to the jerk category. All right. I call it the drill sergeant from my army, uh, my army days, right? Become a drill sergeant. All right. We're going to start having discipline meetings. I want to know who you're to, you know, in sales. I want to know, you got, you got to tell me who you called every day. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to tighten the ship. And the problem is, is that people think, the mindset is it's either or. I have to be either compassionate or accountable. And that mindset is wrong. What we need to do is have the right amount of compassion 
and accountability that's appropriate in each situation and each context that we approach as a leader. That's why it takes five to 10 years to become mediocre because knowing how much accountability and how much compassion is needed at any given time is a real challenge because for most people's mindset, what they see in the leader's behavior is either, or they see the leader that's really nice, or they see the compassionate, thoughtful and empathetic. And then they see the leader that's highly accountable and the drill sergeant, or when you flip from being the nice person to the tough person, you're a jerk. Okay. So I got to, I got to throw a story in here because you'll like this because the emperor was meeting with the prime minister and you know about, if anybody knows about emperors, Christina knows about emperors. They were having their monthly meeting and in their monthly meeting, the emperor says to the prime minister, so you know what? Um, uh, I want to have more fun. This, this emperor's job is tough. I want to have more fun. So, you know what? I want to have all the ceremonies. I want to give parties. I want to recognize and reward people. Let's have some fun. I want to do that. You take care of all the discipline. All right. You, you, we're going to get dark again. You throw them in prison. You lop off the heads. Take whatever steps you need to do to be able to keep people in line. Okay. Your prime minister says, yes, sir. You're, you're the boss. No problem. So a couple of months later, uh, they're having their monthly meeting again. And the emperor's not happy. Emperor's not happy. He says, the prime minister, he says, I don't, I don't like what's going on around here. I'm the emperor. And when I tell people to do things, they go, oh, sure, we'll take care of that. And they don't, they, you know, they get to it when they feel like it. But boy, when you tell them to do something, they jump to it. I mean, they're on it. Okay, because they're afraid of you. So we're switching roles. From now on, I'm going to take care of all the discipline. I'm going to take care of all the challenges and the problems. Put them in prison, lop off the heads, do whatever it takes. You have the celebrations. I'll show up if I feel like it. So what happens? Well, there's a little bit of a revolt because the emperor became a jerk. They went from being a nice guy to being a, a tyrant. So they killed the emperor. It's a sad story. Kill the emperor. And they looked around. Who should, who should we make emperor? Well, the prime minister's turned into a nice guy. Let's, let's have the prime minister become emperor. Prime minister becomes emperor. So what's the moral of the story? When you take over a new position, be tough first and lighten up over time. Be more compassionate and let things go as appropriate. But when you start, be tough and get softer as you, need, as you can. If you start out soft and get hard, you're going to get assassinated. Okay. And that assassination might happen psychologically with people where they quit. And the problem is that people don't, the people that quit and go is not a problem. It's the one that quit and stay. And then it's really hard to hold them accountable. So I tell all of the, all the executives that I work with and I coach, I tell them that story. And I say, to what level of accountability under present conditions do you need to be? And whatever it is, just crank it up just a little bit, just a little bit, and be a little bit more accountable than your predecessor. Put systems and processes in place to help people hold themselves accountable and find opportunities to be empathetic and compassionate. But in the beginning, be tough and then soften up. And you'll find that it's a much more um, effective approach. The other way definitely is not the way to go. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, well, first of all, welcome to Wise Up, everyone. We've got scalpels, 
We've got patients dying. We've got emperors being assassinated. This is what happens when Dr. Gary and I get together. It's like freaking <laughs> thrones. Okay. But I hear, I absolutely hear, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it's just everything has to be in measure, whether it's the compassionate side or the accountable, accountable side. Everything needs to be appropriate. And you even talk about this, you know, from a, a situational leadership standpoint, you know, everything should be in, me- in measure and in, in a balanced and appropriate for the situation at hand. And, and I'm actually going to trade story for story because I want to tell you about one of the most amazing moments I ever had with a boss that to this day is, in my opinion, the best and only best boss I ever had. I was a lowly account manager at an ad agency. I was maybe five years into my career and I had taken over this project and didn't know what I was doing. And a few weeks later, the project manager comes to me and says, uh, by the way, we are about $100,000 over budget on this project. And I, and I was, you know, that it was on me, right? I wasn't I was just trying to do what was best for the client and to keep the project going along. And I had no idea about the finances or anything, but the project manager came to me and was like, we are a hundred thousand dollars over budget. Bye, bye, Christina. Nice knowing you. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God. I had to go and tell the, the, whole account director. And this was like a fortune 100 company that we were working with. It was like the, one of the agency's biggest accounts. Um, but also the way things were scoped, obviously margins were really tight. Like it's, it wasn't like an all you can eat buffet on the budget. And I had to go and tell my boss this situation. And I go to my boss and I had already liked, I always liked this boss. You and I had a good rapport. He treated me fairly. I went to him and I sat down and I was like, I have to tell you something. I really screwed up and I've got a situation with this project. He said, what is it? And he's like, this is what happened. We're a hundred thousand dollars over budget. He pauses and he looks at me and he says, you know what, Christina, there's nothing you can do that I can't fix. Mm. He's like, and I'm going to teach you how to fix this but don't worry. There's nothing you can do that I can't fix. And I am telling you, I walked out of that room and the first thought in my mind literally was, I will do anything for this person. I will follow this person into a burning building. And to this day, like 15 years later, I still remember him and I remember that moment and I remember what he said to me and I remember how he made me feel. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And I think there's an underlying message there. I can, there's nothing you can do that I can't fix if you tell me what the problem is. But if you hadn't told him, if you tried to hide it, you know, and you got to the end of the project, he couldn't fix that, you know? So I, I think there's a, a lot to learn from those kinds of things. First, for you looking at that and having the courage to go to your boss and fess up. You know, this is the situation. It, I screwed up. And, and basically saying, you know, I need help. And uh, his, the response to that, 
the other response that I, I think I would have said to you is, so Christina, what have you learned from this? Right. I need to learn. I learned to, to watch the budget. I didn't even know we had a budget, you know, whatever. Right. Did, I didn't right? even, right. But certainly, no. yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't look at it often enough. It, it was, the project went for two months and I wasn't looking at the budget or whatever, the, whatever the situation was, you know, I'm sure you learned a few things, right? Right. And you know, you said something just now really important because I did go to him exactly when I got this information. And I also feel that if I didn't have a good, fair, like equitable rapport with him, if I didn't respect him or feel like he respected me, I and, might have been and trust him and trusted him. Yes. Exactly. Yes. I probably would have hit it. I probably would have gone into a spiral, you know, who knows what I would have done. I would have been afraid, whatever, all of those things. Um, but I think a lot of it too, is that I did trust him um, enough to, to go and tell him what was going on. So anyway, I just wanted to share yeah. that story with you. It's, it's great. It's a, there's a great lesson that, uh, my, my good friend, uh, Patrick Moran talked about this, um, on one of my podcasts when he said that you have the courage to face the problem right now. And Mel Robin talks about that with her five second rule. If something hits you, you got five seconds to inform the other person of what's going on. Because if you don't do it in five seconds, and we, we teach this in leadership all the time, when you're working with somebody in leadership, you're going to have a situation. We need to give somebody feedback, get your head around what that feedback looks like. But you basically have a very short window to not talk yourself out of talking to the person. Okay. Cause we do that all the time. Don't we would like, well, you know, Christina, it's, you know, I'm, I'm in my head right now, right? Christina, it's not that bad. I'm, I, you know, we'll be okay. I don't need to really talk to Christina. She'll learn from it. I, in other words, as the boss, quite often, I hide it from her and myself because I don't have the courage to do what's right, which is to go talk to that employee and give them direct feedback and face the brutal facts as Jim Collins talks about in good to great face the brutal facts, which yeah. you did, which is great. Yeah. One of the things that I, that I teach and that I practice myself constantly is my thoughts about the work aren't as important as the work itself. And with the work, meaning it could be having that conversation with that other person, or it could be, I've got to write this thing. And a lot of times in those moments, in that sort of space in between having to actually take the action, there's a whole thought process and mental chatter that goes on uh, before you, you proceed. And a lot of times I catch myself, am I in the thought about the work or am I actually doing the work? And if, you know, if you think about that a little bit, you know, most of the time we're in the thoughts about the work. And the funny thing is our minds are set up in such a way that they think it thinks that it's working. So then you convince yourself that you've done the thing because you've had all these thoughts about it. And so then you don't go and have that conversation because you've already had an inner monologue about the whole thing. Right. So I, I think, you know, your thoughts about the work aren't as important as the work itself is a, is a very meaningful practice on being just aware 
in of that space of that five seconds. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Well, and, and what you're referring to is, is really when you talk about what's the work is first of all, what, what are the facts about the work? And let me project a little bit. If you're in a situation like that, you've been there five years, you've gone way over budget. The first question we need to ask ourselves in any situation like that, is this something I can solve? Do I know right now, do I have the experience, the knowledge and the capability and authority to fix this? And in a situation like you're in, the answer to that's no. Okay. All right. No. All right. So how is this going to get better by me being silent? Uh, it's not. Okay. So if I don't have the capability, I don't have the authority and it's not going to get any better. You have basically two choices. You go talk to your boss, you try to fix it or you hide it, get your resume out and find a new job really fast. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's all kinds of options. People say, I don't have any choice. I've got it. Yes, we do. We always have many choices, but to your point is I get all wrapped up in my thoughts rather than looking at the facts, looking at the work and looking at the reality of the situation. And even with a little bit to overcome the fear is to look into the future that it's, it's not going to get any better. So waiting is not the answer. And, and, and the, the reason we're considering waiting is because of the fear of having to have the conversation. Yeah. And what I found really interesting is, you know, seeing the truth of a situation and really being grounded in what's actually going on, what the reality is. The reality is actually not as scary as the story in our minds that we create about that reality. Um, totally. Epictetus, ancient Greek philosopher, says it's not what happens to us that affects us. It's the, what we think about what happens to us that affects us. And so in actuality, we're, we're trying to avoid this reality, thinking that it's, it's going to be awful and it's scary and, and everything when, it, when what's really happening is actually not as scary and terrifying as like the doom and gloom and the, the clouds that are forming in our, in our minds about it, you know? So, which, which brings us to the, you know, a really key part of the leadership development program that we do right from the beginning is this, this sense of awareness. It's, it's not just awareness externally, but it's awareness internally. And like you're saying, awareness of my thoughts and asking the question, are my thoughts a representation of reality? And if there's some question about that, maybe I want to get somebody else's perspective on the representation of reality and try to bring these together to truly get to an understanding and awareness of what really is going on. If we do that, then we can kind of awareness is like the first step. Mindfulness is the next step is awareness of the present state without judgment. All right. Whether good, bad, or different, no judgment, but awareness of the present state. All right. I'm, I'm over a hundred thousand dollars in my budget. Is that good, bad, or different? I'm not going to judge it. I'm just going to recognize the fact. And what's my best course of action? I have no idea. And when I don't know, what do I need to do? Go to a trusted source. It just happens that you had a good boss, you know, <laughs> which is awesome because unfortunately for a lot of people, they might walk in and that exact same thing. You know, they, they can be sitting here listening to this podcast right now, Christine, and they say, Dr. Gary and Christina said, I needed to talk to my boss. I'm $100,000 over budget. That's amazing. You're fired. That is a possibility. It's an absolute possibility. However, it's the right thing. 
And by waiting, you're just going to end up in a worse spot. And be miserable and be unhappy and scared. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of a little bit kind of like rip the banding off, right? And see what happens, you know? Why All right, we so we have scalpels and band-aids. We got scalpels and death and heads coming off. And, and, uh, oh, I mean, we're goodness. getting medieval at this point, although band-aids it's, weren't invented no. in medieval times, but you, you get what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, so, we, they used leeches back then. So that's, yeah, that's yeah. true. Oh, God, that's so gross. All right, we are really getting <laughs> gross here. So, so Dr. Gary... You know, I just want to kind of, I, I want to kind of wrap, wrap this up because I think we've touched on so much. Uh, and I want you, you know, do you have any final thoughts, anything else that you would like to say? Also, how can people find you? Uh, and, you know, if there's anything that you have going on, like definitely, definitely speak about it. Yeah. So th- there is one, what, one final thing is we talk about you know, mission and intention and mindfulness and awareness and compassion, accountability. Okay. This all starts in the seven steps of intentional leadership. Step one is purpose. First component is personal mission. As a, as a leader, you need to be know what your authentic self is and hold yourself accountable to that model of your best self. So Go to my website at statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com, and you can download a uh, mission statement builder to uh, take you through a step-by-step process to write your own personal mission statement. And there's an article in there you can read. Um, If you're interested in seeing all seven steps, uh, you can also download my book. Uh, Both of these are right on my homepage. You just scroll down. And you can uh, download my book, A CEO's Journey, The Seven Steps of Intentional Leadership. And it's a story. It's not a how-to book. It's easy to read. It's kind of like in the same parable ways of uh, Patrick Lencioni and and Ken Blanchard. So hopefully you'll enjoy the story and learn a few things about yourself and how to develop your own leadership development. So that's uh, that's my give. And uh, I thank you so much, uh, Christina, for this interesting conversation about emperors, prime ministers, death and destruction. <laughs> Dr. Gary. Oh, and leadership. And, and leadership. leadership. With That's a little right. smattering of leadership. Let's just throw a little smattering of leadership. A little smattering of leadership. Dr. Gary, thank you so much for being here and for being in conversation and for helping us to wise up. I'm going to wise up. Thanks, Christina. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.